All right, thanks, Tracy. As you open to Genesis 1, you may be thinking, hey, that's what we looked at last week, which we did. And we're gonna look at it again this week from a completely different perspective. Here's what I mean. Uh, Last week, we looked at one and two of Genesis to see uh, what we learn about this invisible, but the universe demands this uncaused cause that the scripture reveals as as God. Uh, The one who clearly must have unlimited power and unlimited wisdom for this world to be and to function the way it does. And we saw from Genesis 1 and 2 that by his actions, he's not distant, he's not just a power, he's personal, and he is intimately involved in humanity. So that's what we learned from Genesis 1 and 2, looking at it through the lens of what do we see about God? This morning, we're gonna go back to those same two chapters, but ask a different question. What does it tell us about humanity and who we are and why we are here? So same chapters, but through the lens of why am I here and who has God made me to be? Uh, Like we began last week through a prayer and song, before we look again at Genesis 1 and 2 again, uh, let's pray this together uh, with Matt. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace we'll stand on your promises and by faith That is our prayer that the earth would be filled with his glory. And that happens very specifically when humanity, which he has created, lives according to their God-given purpose. Do you hear that? When people live for the reason for which God made them, that fills the earth. Wherever those people live, that fills the earth with his glory. So that's what we want to consider this morning together. Why am I here? So look with me, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us, God speaking, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So these, this opening statement, uh, let's, plural, let us 
make man in our image, in our likeness. The very first words God speaks regarding humanity communicates that, that why I am here is for the purpose of reflecting the one whose image I've been made in. That's unique to humanity. The heavens declare the glory of God, but we are created in the image of God and we are created in the image of God to reflect who God is, to, to say it this way. We are the visible expression of the invisible God. We and only we, different than anything else in creation, only we have been created in his image. That's what sets humanity apart from the rest of creation. So we uniquely reflect God in three specific ways. The next verse says, God created man in his own image. Repeat, in the image of God, he created him. Now watch, male and female, he created them. See, what is the scripture telling us about our reflection of God? That if we were, quite frankly, all men, that would not reflect God adequately. If we were all women, it wouldn't reflect God adequately. That in the image of God, there needed, needed to be, if we were going to reflect him, male and female. Why? Because the Godhead, triune, let us make man in our image, us in our plural, that there is in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal, but distinct in person. So our gender is necessary Distinct gender, male, female, is necessary to reflect God. We reflect God by our created, given gender. 20 years ago, we wouldn't have thought much about that, quite frankly. Now it's kind of at the center of what's happening in our world. It, 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 it's... <laughs> I often go back and I read things in scripture and go, oh, there was a time I wondered, why was that pointed out? And then time passes and you go, oh, it's almost like God knew this was going to become an issue. That's a silly statement. But sometimes we don't know how significant things are in the scripture until we see them come under attack. And then we go, wow, Verse 27 of Genesis 1 really matters. Humanity, God created in his image male and in his image female. We should, without apology in our ever-changing world, we should, without apology, stand for the fact that God created gender uniquely. He assigned 
gender. Now, that's not being rude. That's not lacking compassion for those who definitely struggle with that issue in their life. I'm not saying that's not a real struggle, but to say it's a struggle to then conclude that therefore it's not a created assignment, that's missing exactly what the scripture says. It's not rude, it's not mean, believers, to hold Genesis 1:27. God created man in his image and female, male and female in his image. Back to verse 26. Man in our image, according to our likeness. And then he says, and let them rule. Our placement in this world and all that God made is significant. He didn't say to the elephants, you're the biggest, you rule. Or the lion, you're the most dangerous, you rule. You ever wondered if God made you an animal, what animal you'd want to be? Well, it's kind of an interesting thought until I go, no, I'll take human. Right? It's really, we're not just another animal. We are distinct in our humanity. And part of our distinction is that God has set us in our role and our responsibility to reflect him as he rules this universe. And, and like we showed last week with these unending telescopes, as he rules the neighborhood galaxies and he knows all the stars by name, we have been given responsibility as ones in his image to rule over creation. And then he says in chapter two, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So God created humanity in his image to reflect him, to reflect him in gender, to reflect him in work, in ruling, and to reflect him, watch, to reflect him in submission. As there, is, there are distinct persons within the Godhead, there is the distinct gender in humanity. As there is the ruling over all things in the Godhead, there is a ruling in humanity. So if there is submission, part of our role of reflecting God, is there submission in the Godhead? Yes. Jesus says, uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do we believe in the deity of Jesus, the, that Jesus was God? Yes. He was God doing the will of, of who is him and his here, the Father. So there is submission. In fact, if you're like, wow, I never really thought about that, uh, take a journey through the Gospel of John 
this week and see how many times Jesus says, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I only do what the Father has told me. I only say what the Father has told me. See, there is submission of the Son to the Father and the Godhead. And then in the upper room, as Jesus is about to be arrested later that night, he says, but when he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he, the Spirit of the truth, of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So you have, do you see, clearly in the Godhead, the Spirit who is to glorify the Son, and the Son is to glorify the Father. Submission to God is not a result of the fall. Submission to God is how God made us when everything was perfect. See, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's part of the Godhead. As the Son submits to the Father and as the Spirit submits to the Son, you and I were crea created. It's not something we've had to in, it, in hindsight. We were created to submit to Christ. Created. So you understand that when we, and we do it, when we step out from under the authority of God in our lives and go our own way, do our own thing, and say, I know that God says this, but I think this. I know that this, but. And we step out, we're stepping out from our created purpose. You and I were made to reflect him. How? By our gender, by our work and by our submission. I'm going to keep reviewing because I, I want us to understand that is why I'm here, to reflect God and who he made me and what I do and to live under his authority. All right? To verse 28 now of Genesis 1. God blessed them. Who? Male and female, he created. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, the earth, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree has fruit yielding its seed. It shall be it shall be food for you. Verse 30. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. Uh, go to chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from in the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Verse eight, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east and Eden and there he placed the man whom he had formed, down to verse 15 in that garden, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Why are we here? To reflect 
God. But why are we here as it relates to this earth? We're to reflect our creator and our gender submission in our work. And we're to have, as his creations, have dominion over the rest of his creation. Now, I use that word. I'm going to unpack it in a moment. I use that word because that's what's in the text as these words are. To have dominion, to, to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, to rule the earth, to cultivate or slash tend care for the earth and to benefit from the earth. It is to provide for us. We have a unique, again, responsibility from the rest of creation over this earth to have dominion by filling, subduing, ruling, cultivating, and benefiting from. Now, why do I... Why do we say this? Well, because the scripture, the scripture, can I have your eyes? The scripture indicates that we have responsibility to care for this planet. That it matters. Do you know why it matters? Because it's part of revealing the glory of God. Now, some of you are like, "Eh, Doug, you're making me a little nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. We don't worship the earth, but we do have responsibility for it. And sometimes, as Christians, we've acted like how we treat this earth doesn't matter. And I don't think that's biblical. I have to acknowledge in my own journey, you know, we're talking about this journey of becoming a, a follower of Jesus. There, there was a time in my journey where I went, yes, it's all about have a relationship with God, have a relationship with God, have a relationship with God. And hey, we can do whatever we do with this planet. It's ours to take advantage of. But I don't think that's what God intended, actually. Here's a word, dominion might be a hard word for us to get our hands around. Here's a word I think that most of you would connect to better. Stewardship. In other words, stewardship means I don't own it, but I have responsibility to the owner for how I take care of it. We think of it generally in our money. It's not our money, but we have responsibility to the owner for how we manage it. Apply that to the earth. We have stewardship. We don't own this and we don't worship it. But hey, maybe, you're, maybe this is right in line with you. But we don't treat the earth like we treat rental cars. <laughs> See, I knew you'd relate to that one, right? You've had a right, and I'm mine. And sometimes we think as Christians, the earth doesn't matter. And it's our sometimes a response to those who worship the earth and go too far with it. Well, let's not go too far the other direction and act like we don't have stewardship. God created this and said, that's good, and that's good, and that's good, and that's good. That's very good. Together, it's very good. And as stewards, in honor of the glory of God, 
We recognize it is for our benefit. It is to, for our use, but not for our abuse, which sometimes we can stumble into as if things don't matter about the planet. So why are we here? Reflect God. How? By how he created me gender, by what I do in ruling, and how I live under him, submitted to him. And how I steward the world in which I live. So the earth declares his glory. I want to take care of that which declares his glory. Third, chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Verse 21, so the Lord, here's how he did it. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib. That's quite the work, right? Ribbed a woman. Fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, do you interpret what Adam says there as he's excited about this or not? Yeah, I think, I think, Adam's like, wow, this is so much better than the giraffe that I'd just been looking at. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the context, I skipped it, but it's in the context of all animals and he names them and he's like, awesome, awesome, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> this is the goodness of God expressed in the unique creation of Eve and an expression that part of why I am here is to live in community. Now, we'll get specific in a moment, but I don't want us to get too specific too quickly. God created humanity to live in humanity. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be. We were made for community. It's just think about that concept as you experience life Almost all of us would agree loneliness is worse than most things in life. I'd rather be poor than lonely, right? Loneliness is one of the worst things we experience. I didn't realize this as a young dad. Uh, we, we did spank our children. We used a spoon. And then there were things that didn't elevate to the level of spanking, so we sent them to the corner. Nose in the corner, hands behind the back. 
what I realized was for some of my kids, they would have preferred the spoon over the corner. And it's only as a young dad that I went, ah, see, this is a reflection of how God has made us. Uh, my oldest, he'd have been like, just give it to me, dad, and then let me get back to my people. <laughs> but really, to, to be separated from people, far worse to him than a spoon. And just because people are around doesn't mean we're not lonely. Let's be clear that you could, you could be here this morning and be lonely. The presence of people doesn't automatically mean community. It's one of my deep burdens for the church in America as we continue to, and I'm not against large churches, don't hear me say that, but the great challenge to a mega church is you can show up for mass services and not have community. And I think at the heart of what God created us for, of being in relationship with him, is also being in relationship with, with one another. It's a challenge. Uh, we have folks say, oh, we, we love the chapel because it's so small. And it's like, well, that only works for so long. <laughs> but I'm really grateful we didn't spend the jillions of dollars to build a large auditorium. We went to a, a north because it's not the magical, but this size, this size room right here is an attempt to say, we're gonna still have community in a room this size. It's different than it's 1,200, and we looked at it. So again, don't hear me say things I'm not saying, I'm not against, it wouldn't have been wrong, wouldn't have been sin, but there is some core values that drive us, that understand we're made for relationship with God. We're made for stewardship of this earth. And we're made for community. This is why the scripture warns, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I know this is a tired statement, but did we not feel that more profoundly during COVID? That sitting in our living rooms, worshiping separately with a TV was better than nothing, but there were appropriately lots of joyful tears when people could come back and go, I didn't realize how much I missed the community. God is not saying, don't forsake the assembling because he's like, hey, I need my attendance numbers up. Why is he saying it? Because he made you for communion. It's why we consistently would plead with you. Don't just stay an attender on a large, because this is still large, but to take a step of relationship with a family group, a small group, a fellowship where you can live life 
with community, a, a sharing of joy, a sharing of tears, a sharing of sorrow, a sharing of celebration, a helping and being helped. Yeah, we'd love for that to happen with 1,200 who show up for a weekend, but that doesn't happen with 1,200 generally. It happens when <laughs> there's 12 <laughs> or whatever, smaller. So I'm glad as new people experience the Lord in our service, but I want to encourage you. Take a next step. You were made for community. A unique expression of community, verse 24, then is created. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Within our created purpose for community, there is a unique intimacy called marriage. Now, again, why am I making this distinction? I'm making this distinction because can a person live on this planet and fulfill their purpose, their God-given purpose, and not be married? Yes, we have to understand that. There is a gift, a unique blessing and intimacy of marriage that is part of God's design, but let's not go so far as to say, and sometimes people really feel this. I can't experience God's best if I'm not married. Well, Let's remember the two most influential people in the New Testament, Jesus and the Apostle Paul, not married. And in fact, uh, we'll look at this. Well, you don't need to know what we're going to look at two years from now. But we're going to look at this, 1 Corinthians 7, where God uniquely, where, excuse me, the Apostle Paul very strongly says, hey, I wish you'd be like me. Single, because single people have undistracted devotion to the kingdom of God. Now, did I just call my wife, Jackie, a distraction? <laughs> yes, yes. A good God-given distraction, but no doubt a distraction. That's, that's the way Paul promotes singleness. Now we'll see in a moment, there is an inability to participate in one part of what God says for single, but he says there's undistracted devotion. What's my point? This. If you're single, be single to the glory of God in your undistracted devotion. And if you're married, be married to the glory of God in marriage, displaying the beauty of the relationship between Christ and his church. Where things go south is when single people want to act like they're married. And when married people act like they're single. You know what I'm saying? 
It's amazing how many single people want to get married and then they get married and they're like, well, I'd like to hold on to this part of singleness. That's why I've shared with you when my, when Chad, my now son-in-law, asked to marry my oldest daughter, Christy, single question for him, are you done being single? Because I knew his life and I knew how many friends and I knew how uh, he was a magnet. And I was like, are you done with that? Because it's not going to go well if you want to carry that and be married as well. So, whatever you are, do what? Do it to the glory of God in either undistracted devotion or this incredible picture of Christ and the church. There's a, a unique intimacy. This is the closest community. There's an intimacy that's intended to be only for marriage. But understand that marriage is a subset of that God has made us for community. Remember verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is why undistracted devotion to the kingdom of God as a single is a great advantage. But if intimacy is reserved for marriage, then there is within marriage and marriage alone this opportunity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So within this unique intimacy of marriage, there's the intended unique blessing of multiplying. And understand, multiplying is not just adding people to the planet. <laughs> you know what multiplying is? This blessing of multiplying? The blessing of multiplying. This is why I think it's such an incredible privilege to be a father, a mother, to be a parent. is because I get to, by God's grace, live for my created purpose as a man submitted to God, living as a steward of this earth in relationship with other believers in this world and with my wife in a unique way that, by God's grace, multiplies. That by God's grace, my kids see what they see in Jackie and I, and they, they fulfill their God-given purpose as they live watching us fulfill our God-given. That's by God's grace. It doesn't always happen. But that is the privilege of multiplying. See, it's different than just adding people to the planet. It's as parents, we get to be the primary shapers of those who will fill the planet. Community, you were made for it. God said it's not good for you to be alone. And then verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Naked, completely bare, exposed, known, and not ashamed. 
When God created us, watch. He created us male and female so that by what we did and how we lived under him, we would reflect him. And he created us to be stewards of that which reveals his beauty and his glory. And he created us to live in this relationship with one another, community, sharing life together. And he created us. This is almost so hard to imagine because our experience is so different. He created us to live in community, but to live without self-consciousness. This, this, I'm self-conscious. Watch this. All of us know what this is like. I'm self-conscious, so I struggle to live in community. What will people think? What will people say? What if they really knew? See, to live without self-consciousness <laughs> allows me to live in community. It's hard to imagine, right? I have been made to live God conscious, earth conscious, others conscious, but not self-conscious. That's why I've been made. And in that living without self-consciousness, there's this no shame, naked and unashamed, and therefore no hiding. I'm not afraid for people to know me. It's pretty amazing, is it not? Now we're going to respond uh, the band. I'm way early. I don't even know if they're in here. <laughs> We're going to respond in a moment here, but I, I want us to look at this big picture. And if you filled in the blanks, it might be better to, to look just at your sheet as a whole. If you didn't, you can look up here. But I want you to write a word on your notes. Two words, actually. I want you to write this word at the top. Wholeness. Question mark. Wholeness. Wholeness, like the whole enchilada. <laughs> Wholeness, question mark. And then below that, write this word. Fullness, question mark. Now, why? Because what is so compelling to me about Genesis 1 and 2 as we look at it this morning through the, the lens of who are we as humans and why are we here that there is a picture of wholeness. You understand what I mean by that? That so often, and I understand this, so often as believers we think purely about this. I've been created to reflect God. And I'm not minimizing that in any way. I just want you to see a greater 
wholeness to our purpose on this planet. Yes, to be in right relationship with God, but yes, to be in right relationship with this earth and with one another and with self. That God's purposes are full for us. Vertically, horizontally, and inwardly. To capture the fullness of what it means to live on this planet when we're living for our created, intended purpose. I don't want you to just look at a bunch of clutter on your paper. That was my one concern, that you would just go, oh, this just feels so busy. No, I want you to look at that and go, God made me to live in fullness with him, self, with others, and yes, with his created planet. Because I think the more we experience and see the beauty of what God really intended, you know what we then feel? The brokenness of what we really experience. See, I don't know if you, when you look at this, you go, oh, that is so good, but my, and I'm not just saying the world is broken. Is the world broken? Yes. I'm saying how we live in brokenness. That we're made for community, but so often our community isn't really what God intended us to be. And that God had created us to be at peace and how seldom that is. When we sang that this morning, I speak Jesus over every fear and anxiety. You know how seldom I live completely free of fear and anxiety? And I go, this is, this is the fullness. It, maybe it done for you, but I, here's what all week I've said, Holy Spirit, will you give those on Sunday a sense of the fullness of what life God intended to be for them? That you would walk Long for. And maybe that's it. Long for. Because you experience your family. And you see this and then you know your family. You see this and then you know your own heart. You see this and you know your own relationship with God and how often you get out from under. And I guess what I'm saying is this. I don't know that we feel the brokenness until we see the fullness and the wholeness of what God really had intended. 
which is why there's good news. <laughs> there's a savior. And as we go on this journey of a disciple, we'll unpack very completely and fully the gift, the good news of a savior who seeks to reconcile us back to our created purpose. But I just won't long for that reconciliation until I see wholeness and fullness as God has intended it. So maybe just bow with me and and in this quiet moment, would you just take a moment to say to the Lord, your longing, your desire to live in fullness and wholeness. Where do you experience it least and desire it most? Would you tell him? That's compelling to me. Where do I desire it the most and experience it the least? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have placed eternity in our hearts so that there is, no matter how much it's been covered up by other things, there is in the heart of every listener a deep longing for you and a longing for fullness and wholeness. And thank you that there is a Savior whose name is Jesus that can reconcile and restore so we might live for why you've placed us here. I thank you for Jesus. Let's stand together and declare our gratitude to him. There is a Savior, there is a key, there is a power beyond defeat. This is the good news, His name is Jesus. There is a healer, there is a friend. There is a mercy that never ends. This is the good news. His name is Jesus. Oh, he saved, he saved, rejoice all you
is, that is good news. And so friends, uh, I'm aware that there may be some in this room who have yet to trust in Jesus. And I wanna just invite you. Um, it, is, it is the good news that we uh, have been offered redemption and forgiveness, uh, not based on what we've done or can do for the Lord, but based on his goodness and his love for you. So I wanna just invite you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, um, why wait? There's no reason to wait. He is calling, he is there, he is ready. Um, and if we can uh, pray with you, we can talk you through that, we would love to do that. You could come and talk to me or any of us up here. We have our guest uh, reception outside in the courtyard. Anybody there would love to just answer any questions you might have. It'll be the best decision you've ever made is to follow and trust Jesus. He will change your life. He's changed mine. He's changed many in this room. Um, we hear testimony of it all the time. He's good and he's gracious and he's ready and waiting for you. Um, and in general, if we can pray for you, we have elders, uh, men and women who are available between the auditoriums that would love to pray with you individually if that's something you'd like. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us. See you next time.